Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast on the latest movies that also gives you so many recommendations about classic ones too. Oh yes, Beach Blanket Bingo. I have the insert for it. It's Jody McRae in his bathing suit. It was beautiful. Narratively for me, it's Gilda. I just love the way it's constructed. I love the feeling of it. My favorite is definitely a promising young woman. I love, 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 loved it. And it's a double header, even a triple header today, as my guests are filmmaking husband and husband team, David Ebersole and Todd Hughes, who've made House of Cardin, a doc about the life and creations of Pierre Cardin. And I've also got Lisa Imordino Vreeland, who's made Truman and Tennessee an intimate conversation, focusing on two of America's greatest 20th century writers, Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams. It's quite a camp episode ahead, but hilarious and insightful as ever. Put that on the poster, Jace. We'll hear from my guests in a minute, but there's something we need to talk about here on Seen Any Good Films Lately first. Just a few episodes ago here on Seen Any Good Films Lately, I was delighted to have Noel Clark on the show. He was a great guest, and very soon after, he was announced as the recipient of BAFTA's outstanding contribution to British cinema. And, as you'll know now, following horrendous allegations from over 20 women of sexual misconduct, groping, bullying and other offensive behaviour, that award has been very publicly rescinded by BAFTA, and Clark has been outed by the industry as a sexual predator. It's been a horrible few days processing this. I've written about it in my column in the New European newspaper and it hasn't been easy. I've known Noel for years and I'm a BAFTA member who sat in BAFTA meetings just recently on diversity with Noel Clark in the Zoom room. The allegations are appalling and shocking and they're a disaster for British cinema. No doubt about it. BAFTA awarding the outstanding British contribution to cinema to Noel Clark has ended up achieving exactly the opposite of what was so well intended. This is a story that unticks all the boxes. I think we're all chastened and crestfallen. I can't see anything worth celebrating here at all, even for those women who rightly may feel vindicated in bringing Noel's reputation crashing down forever. The racial complications of cutting down a black man at his highest moment of establishment acceptance should not go unremarked either. What a mess. Look, if I know Noel, he'll fight back somehow and fight to restore his reputation. Frankly, none of his films can do that for him, so we'll have to come up with some new insights with thought and artistry that may well be beyond him. So instead he could become a community leader. It's going to take some mighty rehabilitation but one I utterly believe he should be allowed to have a go at. Climbing a mountain he's already climbed once and worked so hard to ascend in the first place, now he's back down right at the bottom in ruins again. There's a lot of learning to be done from this story, but I'll not be taking Noel Clark's episode down. That was recorded as part of a lecture we did for students at Nottingham's Confetti programme, and which Noel was very keen to do. And there were too many black and minority aspiring filmmakers and faces in that audience who were looking to Noel for advice, and too many for me to ignore the important role he's played in breaking down British film's doors. 
And that's, after all, what he got the award for. It wasn't for his artful filmmaking. Let's not uh, pretend anything here. But it was for finding an audience, fighting to find an audience, fighting to build his own career outside the system, for breaking down doors. And none of that should be negated. It's just that now, having broken down the doors, he's got to pay for the damage. Right, let's get on and meet my guests who will be facing the sagful questions this week in the interviews brought to you by Strike, the distilled drink with all the spirit, none of the alcohol. And if you want to order some, just go to strike, that's S-T-R-Y-K-K dot com, pick your cans or your bottles of not rum, not gin, not vodka, and put in the code JASON40 to get 40% off for seen any good films lately, listeners. And I think a strike not gin and tonic would be great as we start today with David Ebersole and Todd Hughes, a filmmaking couple who happened to be in Paris and bumped into Pierre Cardin and ended up following the legend around for a year to make House of Cardin, which is very breezy and very entertaining, as indeed David and Todd are themselves. I caught up with them by Zoom in their fabulous house in Palm Springs, and I asked how they came to make the movie. It's funny because it was very similar to sort of what happened to Gautier and, uh, and Philippe Stark, which is that he met us, liked us, and was basically like, when do you want to start? So, uh, so he was into it and, and willing, but he had never said yes to doing a documentary before. We never thought about making a documentary about him. A, because we didn't know anything about him. We didn't know that he was a real person. We just loved his furniture. Yeah. And then discovered... You know, we didn't even really pay attention that his fashion history, we were just obsessed with, he was kind of like the godfather of lifestyle. So he did dishes and towels and he had a record label. <laughs> yeah. And we were in Paris looking for the records and stumbled on his museum just by luck. And went, wow, he's got a museum, but it was closed. But we went into the store and the guy who worked there, we were showing him a car, a Pierre Cardin car, and he's like, oh, Monsieur Cardin loves people who appreciate him. And we were like, what? Right, there is a, there is a Pierre Cardin. Cardin. <laughs> and he said he still goes to work every day. He still signs all the checks. And so and he told us how to run into him accidentally on purpose, which was to go to his flagship store on Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honoré. And on Tuesdays, he tends to like to walk through the women's store and make sure that everything is to his liking. So we were like, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll go in and pretend that we're, you know, uh, customers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and before we knew it, we were sitting down having coffee with him, and, and he was agreeing to do a documentary. But you hung out with him for a year. What? What? Give me three words that were you you would use to describe Pierre Cardin. Wacky, right? Yeah, uh, funny. Like is the first thing that comes to mind. It's I will a very say. peculiar sense of humor. Yeah, and then uh, kind. You know, like he was very. He's very sweet. He's a he's a nice person, yeah. and I think that's why you have those relationships where people have worked with him for so long and then and just bright in so many ways yeah because it's just so amazing to be with someone who is a genius mm. but who's so unassuming you would have no idea you were hanging out with this man who owns an empire how many million dollars did this man make last year his name is Pierre Cardin Pierre Cardin Pierre Cardin Pierre Cardin Pierre 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 you know Pierre Cardin Il s'est pas servi des livres d'histoire pour faire ses créations. Il a inventé un style. C'est un architecte. C'est un homme d'affaires. 
a little bit of a sellout. Une contradiction. On le théâtre, on le cinéma. A control freak. A label, a logo, a legend. Bâtisseur. Créateur. Un génie. Génie. Un In a word, chic. What's not to admire? What um, was the first film you saw at the cinema, Todd? It was Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Where yeah, was that? The Fox Theater in Pomona. With whom? But it was a reissue in the seventies, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yo, I'm not. I'm not asking you to reveal your age. I would never be so brash. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's must be late for me for a movie because um I've looked up when the reissues were and there was one in like seventy one mm. and I can't believe I waited that long you know, five or six. Cause... <laughs> well, there's that and... funny thing of like the first movie maybe that your parents took you to see when you were a kid, right? Like I think I went to see Herbie the Love Bug. But yeah. uh, the first movie that I really actually remember going to see was uh, Three Pretty Maids All in a Row in a double feature with Owl and the Pussycat. Uh, because it's actually called Pretty Maids All in oh, a Row. Pretty Maids All in a Row. Directed by Roger Badin. Yeah. Oh, because, wow. Because my mother and my stepfather had gotten into a huge fight. And so she wanted to get the kids out of the house. And so she took us to some like midnight double feature, uh, and, which was like a double sex farce. Yeah. And we were, I don't know six or something like that so i kind of i remember that <laughs> i do like my first cinematic experience i'm old enough to have had a black and white tv when i was very young mm. but um i do remember seeing veronica lake on tv when i was a little little kid and just being mesmerized she was then, tiny but just so powerful it was this movie where she was in the jungle and they were like nurses, but she puts on this like silky negligee and slips a grenade in her cleavage and walks out in the jungle and blows up the, the jacks. And uh, the nurses <laughs> escape. But I remember being like, wow, what's that? Oh, great Veronica Lake recommendation. I grew, up, I grew up in Hollywood and we used to go down to Hollywood Boulevard and sneak into the movie theaters and get high and like, you know, watch movies. So the movie I remember seeing like more than any other movie is A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand and, and Chris Christopherson. And we wonder how I grew up gay. This is true. But it's one, that's one of the hairiest movies ever made. You know, <laughs> so you, you, you reacted against that. <laughs> but because you were a child actor, right, David? Well, you know, you could say that. Teen superstar. Yeah, I was, uh, I was the star of a movie when I was 13 years old um, called Junior High School. It's a musical, and it, there's a girl in it. I'm the star, so I, I don't say I was in a movie with, she was in a movie with me. Uh, a girl that was unknown at the time, a little girl named Paula Abdul. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so uh, she, had, she, was, she was the girl throwing the party, and I was the, you know, um, the nice kid who wanted to ask the most popular girl to go to the party, but it's like genius. I'm a piece of wood. You understand why I got on this side of the camera, but uh, and but, but the movie is fantastic. Randall Kleiser has said he saw the film before he directed Greece, so it was an influence on him, and it's brilliant. It's, yeah, it's really well made. Well, I have, I, 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 I've right never seen it, but I love Paula's work and yours. So you know, <laughs> it oddly got re-released. You would think because of me, but no, because of that girl Paula. So. <laughs> she could dance, that's for sure. I can't wait, Sherry. You always plan the greatest parties.
What was the film that changed your life? I mean, presumably that one did a, a bit. The film that changed I was thinking it was going to Westwood to see um, Days of Heaven. The Malik. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, we, we have a, a co-love for that movie, and I almost said that uh, as well. But I think the movie that made me want to make movies was Rumblefish, Coppola's Rumblefish. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I had kind of been aware of, I think, shot design and uh, cinematography and the way that everything was being put together. And I left that movie thinking like, oh, I that I would love to do. Wow, yeah. I mean, and it has flights of fancy in it as well and realism, but then magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and mm-hmm. Matt Dillon. Did you watch any films for inspiration for, 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 for the cast of Cardin? We watched all the films that he did the costumes for. Um, you know, we wanted to know more about Jean Moreau. We didn't know much about her, so we tried to watch her classic things. Well, like we, we knew the big ones, but we didn't know some of the other things. Like no, I didn't know Bay des, well, des Anges, which was featured in your film. I, did, I don't know that oh, one. Right. And that was, that's a favorite movie. Now, did we, we know that before? Thought. No, we, had, we were like Jacques Demy. God, see, now we didn't know anything about Pierre Carnet, except we liked his, we liked his stuff. <laughs> so then when we're doing this and we're Googling him, and you start to realize like, oh my God, he did the costumes on Bay of, or for Jacques Demy. What's this movie we've never heard of? And it was fantastic. Yeah. Did you have film posters on the wall when you were when you were younger? Oh yes. The big, big one was Beach Blanket Bingo. I had the insert for it. And um it's Jody McRae in his bathing suit. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, but then you know, I bought like dumb posters. I know I had the Godfather Part Two, because I could get it. And it was so cool because it was a real movie poster and it had the creep. Right. Our guest rooms, each of our guest rooms are based on each of our favorite actors. So uh, there's one that's called Elizabeth Scott Suite. Um, and it's got a, a lobby card from every movie that Elizabeth Scott ever made and a few of the big posters. Um, and then the other one is the Shirley Knight Suite. She's my favorite actress. Um, and uh, so it's got a lobby card from every movie that she's made. Wow, they're not the most famous actresses, Elizabeth Scott and Shirley and Shirley Knight. I really like these sort of weird off characters. I mean, even when you think about Pierre Cardin, it's like as much as he's hugely famous, he's he was someone that for a lot of people had been kind of forgotten. Um, and uh, you know, Jane Mansfield rather than Marilyn Monroe. Like mm. we're, we're, we like the sort of you know sideways. If if I had to start with a, a, a Shirley a Shirley Knight movie, which one would you? Oh, Rain People. That's that's my favorite movie of hers, and it's one of Francis Ford Coppola's first. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other one would be Petulia. She's really that's a really great film. Okay, Petulia. And what about Elizabeth Scott? You might as well start where I did. Dead Reckoning with Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> it was a movie that Rita Hayworth was supposed to follow up uh, Gilda with, but it went to Elizabeth, and she was Hal Wallace's mistress. So she came out of the gate a movie star. And in her second movie, Strange Loves of Martha Ivers, her she was billed with Barbara Stanwyck and Van Heflin, and Barbara Stanwyck tried to sue to get her name off of there. Ah. <laughs> she wasn't a big enough star, but she showed that. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I, those, those are great rooms I want to stay in, those rooms, if that's all right. I'm gonna, when yeah, I'm yeah, the next yeah, Have you been to Palm Springs? <laughs> no, I've never been to Palm Springs. And everyone said to me, you would love oh, Palm Springs. It's so you. And I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> If you come here, you'll never leave. Yeah, that's yeah. Why, probably why I haven't dared. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you if you could travel back in time to visit a film set, which one would you fancy visiting? Now you could go for a day, or you could just go for a scene, or you could go for the whole shoot. Wow, that's a good question. We we run a gay cruise, and we and we had like a day in Rome, and so we decided to go to Cinecittà, and. And to be where those Fellini films had been filmed just felt magic. I would say, uh, like eight and a half for La Dolce Vita, to be able to be on those sets because wow. that was like creating cinema magic. Beautiful, beautiful choice. Yeah, I'd like to be in the funhouse mirrors. Oh, of um, of uh, Lady from Shanghai. Lady from Shanghai. Lady from Shanghai. Orson Welles. Yes. Yeah. That That's be... not Greg Cohen. I'd love to see Greg Cohen. Huh. The cinematographer shooting that. Ah, brilliant. That would be a very confusing day. <laughs> Have you ever fallen in love at the movies? With a movie star? It's an op- It's a kind of open-ended question. <laughs> well, yes. No, I fell madly in love with the movies with Elizabeth Scott and stopped her and became her good friend for 20 years. I also fell in love with a movie star called Mary Warrenoff, and somehow we became her good friend. So it, it's happened to me quite a few times. So it works, yeah. I fell in love with this woman named Donna Lauren who was in Beach Blanket Bingo. <laughs> and we're going to have brunch with her next week. <laughs> and what about off screen? We pull our lovers off the screen. Yes. I, must have seen, I must have seen junior high school at some point. And little did you know. <laughs> How beautiful. Yeah. What, what about your um, favorite cinema? Where's your, where's the, or, or if it's not a cinema, where's the best place you've ever seen a movie? recently and we were very lucky to have been able to do it but pierre cardin um got diplomatic uh what do you call it um travel papers travel papers for us to be able to come to paris during the uh the pandemic and we watched house of cardin at the chatelet theater in paris with you know uh, jean-paul gautier and all of the other dignitaries and pierre cardin right before uh right before he passed away it was september and pierre cardin passed away in December, in December. He just, so, it was just, I mean, he only passed away, what, six months, not even six months ago, five months December, ago. Yeah. December, yeah. That might be one of the most beautiful places. However, the, one of the other most beautiful places we've ever seen a movie was at the Palais Boule, where he has that great amphitheater, and we watch, uh, you know, the House of Cardin there as well with all of his licensees. So, uh, that's so a fantastic place. Sort of just dream. So every year at the Cannes Film Festival, they used to throw a party uh, MTV used to throw a party at the Palais Boule. Uh, so we would go to, I've been to Cardin's t- Palais many times for parties. So, so it was, it's, but you never got the, I never quite got to see it all. Theater, if there's a theater that I will go see a movie at, no matter what's playing, it's the Vista Theater in, uh, in Silver Lake totally. in California. Like it looks here. like an Egyptian temple inside. But in, um, when we were all young people in, the late 80s, it was like where you go to see two hip movies for a dollar that were like out a month ago. And it just keeps coming back. We just discovered this movie from 1955 called The Crooked Web. And there was a drive-in across the street. You can see the vista out the window and they're playing some Japanese art film in 1955. Mm. And is the vista still going? I mean, it's not, it's not gone the way of the art light. And the... Yeah, we're talking about maybe doing like a special screening of our new film, um, My Name is Lopez. Uh, about Trini Lopez, the, like one of the first Latino rock stars, and we're talking about doing like a special screening in LA. And there, the big... best theater though in the world is that one in Sitges. I've not been, been to that. that the one in, the, the, in Sitges is a great theater, is it? 
spectacular. And they do subtitles in like five different languages simultaneously. Screen is huge. The seats are beautiful. It's yeah. enormous. Yeah, our Mansfield. Movie the best. That was really. Fun. You played. You played your Mansfield film at Sitges. Yeah. 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 How fabulous. What fun. Not because of Jane Mansfield, really, because of Anton LaVey, The Church of Satan, right? Because it's the it's the fantasy film festival. Yeah. <laughs> but we also saw Suspiria on the big screen for the first time. And Dario Argento was there, but Udo Kier is in it. And we came back to Palm Springs and went out to uh, Toucan's and ran into him like a week later. And we're like, we didn't know you were in Suspiria. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> If you could have made a film, a classic film, and you could have made it, what was it? What's that one that you that you think? Oh, I wish I wish I'd made that one, or you know what I mean? Got hold of that, just had that script, and I'd have done this. I, yeah, narratively for me, it's Gilda. Mm. Um, I'm a, a I tend to in my narrative work really, uh, you know, lean towards film noir, and to me, I, I mean, that's probably the movie I've seen more than any, any other movie as well. I just love the way it's constructed. I love the feeling of it. Mm. I remember one time I went to see a play, horrible play, but I was like, God, I wish I could do the movie with Meryl Streep. I could see it in my head. And of course there's that piece of crap, Mamma Mia, but <laughs> had I been at the helm, a true ABBA fan. <laughs> What's your favorite screen hero or screen villain? Sometimes they're the same. Faye Dunaway. In well, China, right. <laughs> in Bonnie and Clyde, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> okay, so favorite villain Robert Mitchum in uh, uh, Night of the Hunter. In Night of the Hunter, yeah. So great. Yeah. Um, and uh, favorite hero. It's funny because I think I think my my taste tends towards. Uh, the the dark rather than towards the towards the light so i'm trying to think of somebody who's like a hero in a movie and that's why i love the movie okay um sigourney weaver and alien yes ripley <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that is absolutely allowed and House of Cardin is well worth streaming now in the uk on chili and on sky store and youtube movies and try catching David and Todd's film on Jane Mansfield. It's called Mansfield 66 67, which is also wonderful. There are some great recommends in there, weren't there? From uh, David and Todd, from Gilda and the lady from Shanghai to the films of Elizabeth Scott and Shirley Knight. The latter who died um, just a week or so after I spoke to David and Todd. Uh, April the 22nd she died, so very recently. And who I realised when I was reading her obituaries is the glue in this very show because she was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1962 for her role as Heavenly in Tennessee Williams's Sweet Bird of Youth opposite Paul Newman's Chance Wayne. Never before, even in the strange world of Tennessee Williams, has there been anyone like Chance Wayne and the women who wanted him. Oh, that feels so... I don't remember your face, but your hands are familiar. Never before, even in the unconventional world of Tennessee Williams, has there been anyone like the princess who understood Chance Wayne. I don't like waiting for anybody. Baby. <laughs> Never before, even in the love-hungry world of Tennessee Williams, has there been anyone like a girl named Heavenly who loved Chance Wayne. 
Oh, I'll get you dirty. Hold me. Just hold me. Hold me. There was a time when you could have saved me, Papa, by letting me marry Chance. We were both young and clean. Ah, Shirley Knight there. And so that brings me, of course, to my next guest, Lisa Imordino Vreeland, a director who's covered her grandmother-in-law, Diana Vreeland, the Vogue and Harper's editor, Peggy Guggenheim and Cecil Beaton in other documentaries. And she now looks at the lives of two gay writers, Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams. And I put it to her that it was more like a documentary fantasy dinner party. I think the dinner party would be highly entertaining. Okay, highly entertaining. Would we be talking about anything serious? Not sure. Mm, Not that's quite what I, sure. I mean, you'd be drinking a lot, presumably. You'd have I think we'd be drinking a lot. And, you know, and that's something that we wanted to do in the film, is that you know, we didn't want to hide away from this whole concept of addiction because you know, they, they were both children of alcoholics. And this is nothing to shy away from because it's a really, it's, it's a big disease and, um, and that's ultimately what they both died from. And, mm. um, and so we didn't want to shirk away from that. It's and funny, so we, isn't it? Because definitely that Truman really doesn't have enough body of a work to, to sort of examine it. But I don't know if you read his works that they're, they're all about, as there's parties and addiction, but definitely Tennessee Williams plays. I mean, he, he put lushes and addiction and drug addicts and drinking and domestic violence. He put that on the screen. It was all, it was all there. I mean, I think that's one of the most important things he did. He, he invented it. Fact, right? He did. I mean, he made it the vernacular, but not only in the theater world, but out there. I mean, it was about his true emotions. I mean, that's what it, that's what it was. I mean, he just, he put it all out there for people to talk about and to make it okay to talk about, mm. which was something that hadn't been done before. And, you know, they were both trying to really re- recreate or create themselves through their words yeah. and to kind of express their unhappiness through words. But they, they both seem to be very out. Comfortable. Yes. I think so. I, I do. I mean, I think you know, Truman was clear that, you know, he, he really identified as being gay at a young age. Well, you know, Tennessee was, you know, sexually, he was very slow because he didn't have his first experience until he was 26, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. He really needed love. He, you know, I think that they both came from very different starting points because you have, you know, Truman who was locked in a hotel room, left alone by his mother, you know, which is great. That certainly sets a tone for you for your life, unfortunately. And, um, and he, his sexual relationships, I mean, he was in love with Jack, but then the remainder of the relationships that he had, he was really always trying to turn straight men gay. And most of these guys, I think, were with him because he had a lot of money. Um, while 10 really was like, cruising, like he would go to Times Square, find some cute guy, and then he was like, oh, you know, and then he would go back the same day for somebody else. <laughs> so it was quite prolific. Right. <laughs> um, and he was not shy to talk. I mean, I was really, I was laughing when I was reading these entries. I was like, okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're, they're huge figures. And it's, it's great to sort of, to, to, to spend some time with them, which is what your, which is what your doc allows us to do. Truman and Tennessee together. It, it is like having that dinner party, <laughs> really. I'm going to ask you, but uh, there seen any good films lately? Uh, questions, Lisa Modino Reeland, if you don't, if no. you don't mind. Now you're on the no. show. So have, well, you, have, you, have you seen any good films lately? It sounds like you have. Well, so if we're talking about films of today, so films, theater films, 
my favorite is definitely a promising young woman. Yes, it's, I and just that, I I'm with you. The, of the older one, the award season, I'm like, wow, that was the only one that I went, wow, this is fresh. I agree. I love, 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 loved it, and um, I just loved her approach. It was such an original idea, and everything. I think Carrie Mulligan just was brilliant in it and absolutely brilliant but there was not a moment that i i looked away from the screen i was completely engaged and it's a real story i mean it's a, it's it's a shocking story yeah. and she chose to tell it in a different way of course there's been a lot of television streaming um a lot and um so it can go from junk to Something I hadn't seen, which I loved, and I saw it early on, and I wish that it hadn't finished, was I love the Durrells. Oh, my gosh. I loved I had never watched it. The story about the Gerald, um, you know, Gerald. Yes. Uh, Gerald, the, the naturalist. Loved, loved, loved I haven't it. seen that. There's that Josh O'Connor's in that, isn't he? I think. Yes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He's so good. He was so good in it. Um, he was actually, he had been offered to me for Truman or Tennessee. At one point, I remember, actually. It was, so he was what, one to do, of the ones to do the to do the voiceovers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. At a certain point, he was. Um, but then there's a lot of other things that I saw streaming. So I loved It's a Sin. I thought it was brilliant. I loved it too. Yeah, I'm glad oh, you liked that my one. God, loved, loved, loved. Um, and then I loved. Did you see La Veneno? La Veneno. Yes. No, it's what's that one? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So what did I see it on here? At HBO. Max, I don't even remember Netflix. So it's a it, it's it's a true character. It's one of the first trans women in Spain, and it's a Spanish director, and it's this wonderful story of her story told through the eyes of a young um, man transitioning into a woman. It just tells her story, and it is so well done. Señoras y señores, aquí esta noche, Cristina. La Veneno. Sí, llámame Cristina porque mi nombre no es Veneno, es un apodo. Ahora vamos a hablar de La Veneno, su imagen tan distinta a la de hace 10 años. Ha vuelto. You said you were working on a project earlier, so you, you've been watching amazing films for your new project? Well, I've been, I've always watched all of these Scotty's films, but I've gone through all of them again. What, what do you recommend if I'm going to, if I'm going to do a quick Visconti season? Well, who, what would I, what would I watch? Well, you have to do Death in Venice. Yes. How could you not? You know, it's kind of hard not to do Death in Venice. Le Strege is pretty amazing. It's Helmut Berger's first. So you see a very young Helmut Berger. I think it's at the very beginning of their relationship. And um, there's is that, this amazing... Is that the witches? Le Strege. Yes, yeah. the witches. Yeah. And it's Silvana Mangano. And it's, you know, and it's about celebrity because she's, a, she's an actress. And so they're different directors, but I'm thinking of Lucchino Visconti's section of that. Ludwig is just you know, unbelievable as a, as a film. I mean, there, it's, it's just, it's, it brings you into a completely different world that I love. We were talking earlier about going back to the movies, getting, you know, New York's cinemas open. What was your first film at the cinema? I think the first thing I saw was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Nice. Isn't that crazy? No, well, it's such a great film to see, but to see it at the cinema as well is really cool. I, I think I remember saw it on telly. I, you know what? I'm pretty sure. I mean, it may, it's the one that I remember at mm. least. Where would you, where would and, this and have been? Have, I have strong memories also of um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, these are good, good movies to, to see at the cinema. <laughs> which, which, which cinemas would this have been? This would have been in, in Italy? 
This was in, in Milan and it was at the Angelica movie theater and it was the English speaking movie theater there. And so I have huge memories because we used to go as a family and it was kind of one of those things. And, and they like, only showed, they showed the movies in English in, in, VO, in it version original. It was the only yeah. one. Oh, wow. It was the only English speaking theater. And it's still, it's, you know, I don't know if it's still open, but it was still, it was still open a couple of years ago, but it's quite, it, it definitely is part of my child. Was there a film that changed your life, Lisa Modina Vreeland, that you, either one that you made uh, or one that you that impacted you so much when you saw it? You know, I would say that I think the films that have probably, there are a couple, um, like Lena Vermuller as a director, I, that they really impacted me. And I would say Swept Away, Seven Beauties, just because there's such a visual strength in them and mm -hmm. she was such a storyteller. They definitely made me think in a different way. But then on the other side of it, I mean, and there's kind of, there's the strength and the emotion of the characters and the visual and the, and the visual impact. But then there's that amazing movie, The Etroscola, A Special Day, A Giornata Speciale with um, Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. Yes which is also kind of another, a completely different side of it. It's like, it's a little, I mean, it's, it's when I guess Hitler came to Rome from Mussolini and the two of them are there at home and they join together. And it's just like this moment in time that was just so special. It's always this kind of a joke with Marcello, but of course, when you work with, uh, with your partner for, 20 years of your life, you know him as he was, your brother, your husband, your everything. So, I mean, uh, everything was fine. And also because I trusted him so much because he was uh, a great, great actor. He always knew what he was doing, but he always pretended not to know. And this I liked very much. It's an extraordinary film that I didn't know. Uh, a, a previous guest on the show, Vigo Mortensen, chose it as one of the one of oh, his wow. favourites, one of the films that changed his life. Was oh. the special day, and I and I went away and watched it on his recommendation, and it's fabulous. I'd never seen it. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. The scene on the roof is amazing. It's just... unbelievable. Did you watch any films for inspiration for Truman and, uh, and Tennessee? I would say that the one that really stuck to my mind when I had seen it initially was I Am Not Your Negro, the James Baldwin, the Raoul Peck. I mean, this is, that just, when I saw that film, when it initially came out, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. And that definitely was something that was fair. I would say definitely that one. I mean, it, it's an absolutely brilliant film and the voiceover, Samuel Jackson's that voice, the strength of that beautiful mm. voice was, was such an important part of it, but it really, Hit me strong. That yeah, one. good choice. Great. I definitely, definitely influenced this. Film, sure. Well, I, I, I can, I can, I can feel it. If <laughs> that, and that's a high oh. compliment. Yeah. If I could <laughs> transport you back in time to a, a film set, which one would you visit? I think I may want to visit Visconti's Ludwig set. Okay. I think I would, and I'll tell you why. Because a I would like to go to the castles. Okay, I would like to see all those amazing castles in Bavaria. That's a trip I want to take because I haven't done it. But I would like to have done it with Luchino Visconti. I think it would have been pretty fascinating to have been there with Romy Schneider 
and Helmut Berger and Pietro Tosi while he was working on the costumes, which must have been insane. Um, I mean, I could have been with Bailey because Bailey went. Do you remember when Bailey did the Bailey on? Because Bailey did the the trio of Bailey with Warhol. Bailey, um, and he did Visconti as well. Oh, I didn't did know that. that. No, I didn't know that. Well, what's the best place? you ever seen a movie because sometimes you know you get these amazing screenings that are one off somewhere you know outdoors or something no god you know actually you mentioned the word outdoors i've had some pretty spectacular screenings of my films I mean, yeah I, yes i have a special place for the angelica in milano without a doubt but there was one in mexico city that i did a screening for diana vreeland and it was this incredible outdoor theater and it was actually it rained. I mean, it just, at the beginning of the screening, it just poured in the whole place. It was like this arena. It was completely full with people holding umbrellas. <laughs> Pretty spectacular, very surreal. Um, so there was an incredible screening there, but I've been to, it was a beautiful theater also in Naples. Oh. That I showed something that, what did I show there? Beaten. Yes, it was beaten. And that, and so I, I've been to a lot of different theaters that I've shown that I love, that I really love. But can I remember the name of them? No. No, but that's great. I mean, that, that's, this is this is great to have shown in, in, you know, have your film shown in these amazing little theatres as well. Because that's they, wonderful. Yeah. That, and that's what we miss during this time. Sure. And there must be the real joy of taking your film to these various audiences because they all have their own character, don't they? They, they? they take on the character of the room. If you could remake a film, whether yourself or or just one that you wish you'd made that you were good enough to be to directed to be fortunate enough to make, is there one that you fancied? I think I would want to do The Glass Menagerie because there's so many different versions of it. And if we could get a contemporary version of it and make it look because... It's like we even had a tough time signing, like figuring the one out to use in the film mm. because they just felt too old for some reason. And I think that you need to have a contemporary version of it. And, yeah, I'd know, like to it's see done it. certainly on stage a lot. Yes, and, I would like to see a, a, a new film of the Glass Menagerie. Actually, I would. So if you could fix that for me, that would be that would be great. Okay, <laughs> we'll do I'll that. See. <laughs> we'll work on that. And finally. What's the your favorite film location? Now, I, I mean, you, it's one you could have shot in that you visited, or it's one that you, as you described earlier, some magical place that you've been transported to and seen on screen, well, either once or quite often. Well, you know, I have to. I think I will speak about my work then in this case because I have been very lucky to be in some amazing locations, and um, you know, I had a series that I was that I a streaming series on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon in UK called Art of Style, and we went to some incredible locations, and you know, from Axel Vervoet's castle outside of Antwerp, which is unbelievably dreamy, to you know, walking around Cecil Beaton's fields and in his house at Ashcombe in the UK. Not mad, not bad at all. Oh, okay. I haven't visited. Can I, can I visit or do I have to be making a, do I have to be making a film about him to get there? Well, you, if you, I'm sure you know Guy Ritchie, so you could ask Guy Ritchie directly to, because he owns Ashcombe. Oh. He owns Ashcombe. So, and, but, you know, also even making Truman in Tennessee, I mean, they're, that in East, yeah, it was pretty magical running around. And at the same time, Men in Black was shooting. There was 
something of men in black shooting on the island. And we were, I mean, there were these huge trucks and I don't know if you've been to East yet, very small. And, you know, there's the three of us, that was with our location scattered. (laughs) There's this one scene that there, there are these underwater scenes of somebody swimming and we're in this cave. I mean, it was me with the DP in the cave. Oh, that was you, was it? Okay. Well, it wasn't me. That was actually, that was actually the man on the boat, but it was me holding on to the DP. Okay. (laughs) To shame because there was this really big current pulling back and forth. And so, I mean, we've been, like, I've been in amazing places. They, been, that so looks so... I haven't been to Ischia, but I have been to Capri and I got married in Sorrento. So, uh, so you know that. I know that area. And there's the, 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 the sea, when it when it's in that mood, is so beautiful. And, oh. oh, my gosh. No, it's amazing. I mean, I've, I've been to amazing locations. Like, Georgia O'Keeffe's Ghost Ranch, you know, or her home, like, on her bed in the morning, shooting the sunrise. I mean, come on. I've been incredibly fortunate and been given access to some very dreamy places. These are fabulous locations. It's a fabulous uh, list to run through with you, Lisa Mordine of Reland. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, seeing any good films lately, and for having seen so many good films lately. <laughs> You've really done your homework there. And for giving us a lovely film as well in uh, Truman and Tennessee. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, listening to your film and watching your film, and I feel like I, I was bathed in the, in the literature of it as well. There's all those wonderful words that come out of it. Thank you. It was a great treat. It's a fascinating doc, that one. And if you stream it virtually here in the UK, you can do that going to dogwoof.com or trumantennessee.co.uk. You can find out how you support your local art house cinemas and you get a free Q&A with me talking to Lisa Imordino Vreeland. That's worth every penny, surely. Great shouts from Lisa too on Visconti, Fellini, Lina Wertmüller. Uh, and I Am Not Your Negro, to name a few that she's brought up. Plus, that film just reminds you of all those brilliant Tennessee Williams adaptations, you know, Marlon Brando in Streetcar and Paul Newman in Sweet Bird of Youth and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. There's Baby Doll, The Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone with Warren Beatty. Boom, amazing. And if you did like Raoul Peck's I Am Not Your Negro, uh, as recommended by Lisa Imaldina Vreeland, I can recommend his latest work right now. It's on Sky Documentaries, Exterminate All the Brutes, which looks at the legacy of European colonialism in Africa and therefore in America too, and the basis of white supremacy and basically modern civilization. It's a very tough watch, but it's clever, it's illuminating, it's brilliantly done and very personal, mixing dramatic reconstructions with history, uh, sometimes starring Josh Hartnett in bits. And that's certainly my tip uh, for what to watch this week. Here is the story we have been told in Columbus's travel journal. They were discovered. But there is no such thing as alternative facts. There is something we need to talk about. Three words that summarize the whole history of humanity. Civilization, colonization, extermination. This is the origin of the ideology of white supremacy. So thanks to my guests, David Ebersole and Todd Hughes and to Lisa Imodino-Vreeland. Thanks as ever to Strike, S-T-R-Y-K-K. 
And let's play out then with the tune that was hummed and trilled by Tennessee Williams's most famous creation, Blanche Dubois, in A Streetcar Named Desire. This time we'll have Ella Fitzgerald singing it. It's Harold Arlen's It's Only a Paper Moon. See you next week. Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Yes, it's only a canvas sky Hanging over a muslin tree But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed